Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. It's been a great couple of weeks, uh, for sure. You know, I'm just uh, ecstatic with where the AEW company is right now and how we're growing and, and that everybody stepped up and delivered at the Arthur Ashe Stadium a, you know, a week or so ago. So I'm, uh, I'm in good spirits, and I'm happy that uh, these kids, a lot of these kids, and some of the older guys, the older guys got to relive their glory days. The kids got to see what it's like to wrestle in front of 20,000 people. And for a wrestling fan and a mentor type person, personality, I just thought, uh, I was so proud of those guys and the crew and what a major undertaking, but it was, uh, I said on the, I said on the, on a tweet, which I got called down on by some fans that, uh, you know, in all my years in the business, this was one of the most, if not the most memorable events that I had ever participated in. And then uh, here comes the backlash. Oh, JR, you're just sucking up. You're just a company man. And you know, there's no way that could be your true feelings. So, I, I, and so I, I'm expressing myself and I'm getting called down because they don't like my opinion of my work or my emotion. I'm thinking, is that what this whole frigging Twitter thing has come to yeah. social media, the platform to raise it to bitch and moan and all that stuff. So, uh. Anyway, I, I was just, I was elated with that show. And, uh, is that your first time in Arthur Ashe? I know wrestling's never been there. Had you ever been there before? No, never been there. What did you think I, of the I, venue? It was really cool. It was really cool. I don't think that venue was quite prepared to handle that kind of clientele. I don't, I don't think that the AEW audience had a lot in common other than a, be, a beating heart with, uh, the tennis fans, tennis fans are more, uh, I guess more refined, maybe. I don't know. Probably, well, I mean, good I, I was told that the, uh, the crowd, like uh, that, maybe they weren't ready just to handle the vault. Like they knew it would be a big event, but I don't think they were expecting a sellout. The staff who worked at the uh, venue. Yeah. Well, I know the lines are horribly long and all those things. Uh, according to what I was told, I didn't, I didn't hit the concession stands, believe it or not. Really? Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't buy any shirts. Uh, I bet you couldn't find a goddamn JR shirt in the building. I got a nice shirt that's on that Slobberknocker AF. Oh yeah. That's a fun shirt. And, uh, it, it, it has a hard time seeing the light of day for whatever reason, but in, in any event, it's funny how you can express your own opinion, but those guys don't understand when I said that, you know, look for me, it's a, it's a very emotional thing here. They do. I've had a really good run. I'm very blessed. Uh, it'd be a hell of a lot better run now if Jan was here, but she's not. So I, I, I went through the startup. I never worked in a startup before. And when you come from the big dog in the yard to a startup, there's a lot of angst and anxiety because you don't know. Right. Uh, I knew that my money was going to be good because it's guaranteed by the cons and they Hey, like a slot machine, they're on time and everything's could never had an issue. Never, ever have had an issue, but, uh, I don't know, Conrad, I think maybe, um, I, I think maybe some people just, or just want to be argumentative and defiant. I don't get it. And then you, when you do all these shows, you know, we got COVID now. So we're, 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 we're balls deep in COVID 
And so I, 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 we went through all that. I bought a home here. You've been in it. Yeah. Great uh, place. I spent a lot of money to, to, to buy a place here to live here. So it's the smartest move I've made. It's great. It's a great real estate investment on the beach. <laughs> so, uh, but then we did all those shows with no audience. Yeah. Week after week after week at Daly's place. So, you know, we went through all those struggles and, those, and all that. We had to deal with the death of Brody Lee, who was a, one of the most popular guys in the entire roster, a family man, a good man. And, uh, for those that watched our show from Rochester, his hometown, you saw just exactly what he meant to his community and the boys and the girls. Uh, so I don't know, man, I, I think, uh, we just went through so many things and then getting back on the road and dealing with that horse shit. Hey, I, Raphael Morphy and I walk into a restaurant in Queens. He said, we'll go have a steak. I said, okay, great. Steak was okay. It was good, but I had, we had to show proof of vaccination to get in the door. Wow. And I'm thinking, thank God for Raphael. Cause I'm thinking, hell, I don't have, I got, it's in my, uh, it's a laminate card. It's in my, uh, uh, briefcase, which is in the hotel. So Raphael said, no, don't you remember? I, I made you take a picture of it. You did. Yeah. And I got, he said, if you don't have it, I have it. So I, I cause I'd taken a picture of the card text to Raphael. So he'd have a copy of it, babysitting my fat ass. And, uh, so we got that. The guy looked at like three seconds. Okay. Come on in. Wow. That's a stringent test. <laughs> I could have, I could have written that motherfucker in Crayola. Uh, so anyway, that was, uh, that's, that's what you deal with on the road. And then the, the, the damn face mask in the airport. It should, and, and then you got so many people that don't speak their primary language isn't English and their mouth is covered with a mask. And I don't hear so good anymore. After all these years of getting, you know, screaming and yelling and his headsets on, I'm, uh, you know, my hearing has been affected. I'm not bitching about it. It's just what it is. It's inevitable. I right. get it. Yeah. I'm getting older. So all those challenges we went through and like I said, illness, death, no audience. And I say how proud I was a Wednesday night because I know how far we came and I knew the uncertain roads that we traveled to get to that destination. And there's no way in hell I could say to you, well, I knew that we were going to be great. I knew it would, would eventually do 20,000 people house. No, I didn't. It exceeded my expectations. So that's why I said how, why that, that event was so memorable to me, the sacrifices we've all made, uh, you know, the travel, like I said, Brody Lee's death, uh, a lot of emotional things that have happened, uh, you know, with, with us just in the course of life, but it's just amazing to me. So folks, if you're listening, I know obviously you're listening, dumbass. uh, if you're hearing my voice, you're listening and, uh, but Conrad golly. I just don't understand people's attitude. So if you're one of those kind that want to bitch about everything, I saw, I saw it rears head when I would mispronounce a name or something along those lines from all these announcing experts out there. Hey, you know what? You gotta stop overthinking that. This is just friend to friend. I saw you, uh, the other day, cause I know people are on your ass when you, oh, we called him big show. It really took me out of it. 
But the other day, you know, during the Malachi black Cody Rhodes match, you said Malachi and you paused. Cause in your head, you were thinking, fuck, is it Malachi or is it yeah. Alistair? And I knew right then you're like, they're going to get after my, and that pause was like, God damn it, Jim, you had it fucking shake all this nonsense out of your head where all Twitter's going to be after my ass. Fuck man. Call him big show. We don't give a shit. That's who we call him. Nobody's running around. Even now, nobody, no AEW fan sitting at home saying, well, Paul white. No, we're still calling him big show. And it's okay. If you slip up, listen. I know it's a legal thing. You're not supposed to say it, Yeah. but goddamn, even when you nailed Malachi, you were like, uh, second guessing myself. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 just be Jim Ross. Yeah. Fuck all yeah. that. Uh, that's it. That's what I've tried to do. And I think it's raised and you're right. I do overreact and I think it's because I care too much. Sometimes I know you do. I really do. So if uh, I'm going to get called down by some little uh, geek on Twitter, <laughs> then, uh, have at it folks, but think about it a little bit. Think about everything. Think, think about the big picture. Think about my motivation for saying that that was one of the, the most special nights of my career. You know, it's just a pleasure to, to be there and I'm getting better. I hope at working with these two announcers that we had never worked together before until now, until this, this run, AEW. you got three play by play guys sitting at the table and somebody has got a lead. Just it's inevitable. It's what you do. It's like dancing. Somebody's got to lead. So I, uh, I'm, all I can do is just work my ass off and try to improve my game. And, uh, I'll never stop trying to improve my game, but you're exactly right. I, I think I do care a little bit more than I, maybe I need to, but, uh, you're right about that. That's a good catch. Cause I, I caught it too. I stopped in mid fucking sentence just because of the, you know, the, you hear the barbarians at the gate. <laughs> so anyway, but nonetheless, I, I thought that that show uh, from, uh, Arthur Ashe was amazing. The facility is beautiful. Uh, I don't know if they were prepared for the aggressive crowd and the volume and the fact that I don't know how much merchandise they sold on Wednesday, uh, there, but golly, it had to be a, a truckload of money. And, uh, and then they, somebody said, well, I've been to tennis events there and they have better quality food. Well, why don't you blame that on Tony Khan? Why don't you blame that on AEW? Blame that on J blame it on me. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I was after making them hot dogs for the show. And I knew in my heart that we might not have the hot dogs you wanted, but by golly, we're going to sell them anyway. So anyway, that's the story on uh, the, the, uh, well, the rumor and innuendo is Jim, they had Korean barbecue at the event. Really? I don't remember there ever being a wrestling show here in America where they offered Korean barbecue at the concession stand. So wow. you know, I, I think we're overthinking a little bit of that, but hopefully we're not doing that when we talk about today's program, right? Because man, we have got a main eventer here today. What a humdinger of a topic. Chris Jericho is our topic today. And Jim, you wrote the forward to Chris's book. It feels like over the years, you guys have just gotten closer and closer and closer, but did you first cross paths with his journey into the WWE or had you bumped into him along the way somewhere else? No, uh, I, I watched his work, you know, uh, people sent me, uh, I'd get, uh, emails or whatever communications from fans that said, man, you should look at this guy and I pay attention to that stuff. <laughs> so, uh. I think probably seeing him in new Japan or all Japan and Japan in general, 
Uh, I watched this work in ECW, uh, but I knew he was special. Sometimes it's like, what what makes you say that? What makes him special? Sometimes it's, uh, odorless. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You just feel it. And I felt like, you know, here's a guy that I doing all my due diligence. As I said earlier, he, he didn't get hurt. He's, he's an iron man. And, uh, he was young and he was hungry. And, you know, I, I just believe that, uh, he was right man for the job, the right place, right time. And what the irony of it is, and he wasn't a popular hire. And, uh, I know Jerry Briscoe and I were very high on him. Uh, but some of our other compadres in the front office were not. And I think sometimes that's because it wasn't their idea. And I'm going to get, I'm going to sign a guy that's going to make us all money. And all of a sudden that's kind of what happened. So this is a good story to tell today. How did he land on your radar? Did you first see him in ECW, uh, Japan, Mexico, or was it WCW? Well, I saw him a lot in WCW, but I, I certainly saw him, uh, like I said, those stuff that people would send me, uh, and from uh, Japan and from, and of course, ECW was uh, on the, on my local cable there in, when I was living in Connecticut. Uh, so I saw a lot of his work there, but the other thing is, is that we had talents. Uh, you know, I was head of talent relations at that time. And we had talents that would say, Hey, JR, you ever think about hiring Jericho? Chris Jericho would be great here. I said, I agree with you. We're going to work on that. But see the, the issue there is, is that you don't know who's talking about what, how they're going to phrase it. Sure. And he's under contract to Turner. So, uh, that meeting we had at the Bombay bicycle club was a little bit of a clandestine thing. And, uh, I was not sure at the beginning that we were going to be able to sign him because of the budgets, but, and he didn't get, he got paid on a salary there. So everybody's on a salary. And I don't think, I think that's, I don't believe that salespeople should be paid on salary. That's just me. Now, different sales group, your group. I don't know how you're, you pay your guys. I have no clue. Don't Commission. need to know. Don't know my business commission, but there you go. That's the motivator. You know, it's like, I, I like these commercials, these car commercials. Our salesmen make no commission. So that means they're an unhappy bunch of son of bitches because they can sell a hundred cars a day and they're not going to, they're not going to up their juice. Yeah. So, uh, and he didn't have that concept. Even in Japan, there was a salary type thing and ECW, it was a guarantee. And that's what you got by and large. So, uh, he, he was just, uh, he had never been in an incentive program and I could tell he was that kind of guy. Now look at all the stuff he's done, all the projects he's worked on for himself, books, his band, all those things we'll talk about. Uh, he was just, uh, it was a new process to him. And I think he'd been told for so long, you'll never make it to WWF or WWE. You're, you're, you're McMahon will think you're too small. And I was looking at our script here today where it, we talked about him becoming a um, uh, somebody, uh, I remember, uh, I guess Derek Sabato wrote this, uh, for us. He always does a great job by the way. Uh, you know, just the fact that, that, uh, Chrissy had always wanted to come to the big time and, but nobody gave him any encouragement that he would. Well, I did. I did. I saw it. I felt it. I smelled it a whole nine yards. So, uh, that was kind of where we were with that. And I. And I think he's, if you look, go back and look at the overtime Conrad, he may have been one of the very best and most influential signings I ever did. 
Cause look at it. Look what he did there. Yeah. WrestleMania's WWE title working with, you know, that time he interrupted the rock to make his debut in Chicago was huge. That was great creative. I think Brian Gorks probably came up with that. Uh, and rock like Chris, they communicated well. So there's a leg up for sure. As we said, so, but in any event, I I'm, uh, I'm really excited about doing this show and I'll quit yet blabbling, babbling, and we'll get to it. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about, um, your old pal, Jim Cornette, because Jim is really responsible for giving Jericho one of his biggest breaks in yeah, Smoky, Smoky Mountain. Mountain. Yeah. And, and you and Corny go back decades, right? What was, what was Corny saying to you about Jericho? Do you recall? Yeah. He was trying to push the team of Jericho and Lance storm. I think they're called the thrill seekers. And, uh, and, and I, I started calling their matches. I started doing some work for Smoky mountain in one of my, uh, sabbaticals and, uh, happy to help corny out. I did. When he could pay me, which he did more often than not, I was happy to get it. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was something. Kept me back in the game a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but he was, uh, very high on him. And here's what you talk promoters or bookers talk to other people of, of uh, same ilk. I would say, does he come to work on time? Is he clear headed? Is he got, is he injury prone? Can he work heel as well as he can work baby face or vice versa? Things like that. You want to know, I don't say, Hey, uh, how's that headlock? Does he do a good headlock morning? That didn't come up, but, uh, Cornette was very high on those guys. I think he saw a little bit of the rock and roll express in them. You know, a lot of baby face teams. I, I tell the bucks that all the time. So you're the, you're the new rock and roll express people. You know, you're undersized, so to speak. Uh, baby faces who had never become very successful villains. So I, I, we always reference something, you know, somebody's always, or I used to, uh, without saying it reference that John Moxley at times during his, uh, uh, AEW run has reminded me of stone cold attitudinal his backstage to stuff that fans don't see. And, uh, he's a lot of like Austin. He's a little bit of a loner, all those things. So. But Cornette was a, were very high on that. And quite honestly, you know, I know Cornette's, uh, Corny's, uh, we just had a birthday. So happy birthday, Corny. Uh, the big six Corny, oh now, I think, right? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I got about 10 years on him close to it, but you're right. We've been friends forever and uh, he's one of the smartest minds in the business, you know? Uh, and it's funny. I, you know, I work with him and, and Paulie. They have so much in common and it used to piss them both off when I would say that to him. I said, Cornette just likes the he's the prince of polyester. Paul, you're the prince of, uh, uh, sales, you know, Burlington coat factory type thing. And now I see Heyman's on, goes on Twitter from time to time, which I get a kick out of saying what he takes a selfie and says the tie is by so-and-so yep. the pocket squares by, you know, my underwear is by Haynes. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, Cornette was a big booster of those Conrad and that got him really got me really to thinking that, you know, well, if I get the opportunity, these guys need to be on this roster. So let's talk about the, uh, the legendary meeting. This is broken down in uh, Jericho's book. And, and as I think everybody remembers, 
Uh, he was unhappy with his creative and the way the whole Bill Goldberg thing had been played out. Uh, he had sort of created an opportunity for himself out of thin air and WCW would not go with it. So he realizes, man, there's a ceiling here and he's probably grateful for the opportunity to be on TV and get the experience and make more money than he's ever made. But he wants to get to the dance and everybody knows in that era, it's the world wrestling federation. So as the story goes, the meeting happens at Vince's house and he's, uh, wearing extra schmedium shirts, trying to look bigger than normal. Got lifts in his shoes, trying to look bigger than normal. Cause he thinks <laughs> that's what Vince wants. And it was as the legend goes, Vince, Shane, Vince Russo, Ed Ferrara, and, uh, uh, Bruce Pritchard. And of course yourself, you're all there at Vince's house waiting on Jericho to arrive. What was the conversation like before he got there? What were people thinking of him as sort of a preconceived notion of what Jericho would be like? Well, the common question was, you want a cup of coffee or a diet Coke? Mm. Everybody was somewhat reluctant to say what they thought. That's my take on it. Uh, and others in that meeting that are still around would say, you know, that's not really accurate JR, but I, I was, I came out guns blazing. I said, this is a, as far as my roster and my job, he is a high, high priority. And I think a lot of the guys are just kind of waiting uh, around to see what Vince's take was going to be, but that was a common denominator in that era. A lot of guys just wait to see what Vince's reaction is going to be. And then, then they declare if they're upside of the aisle, they sit on. So, uh, but it was just casual. You know, we we're probably talking about other things as much as Chris at that time, we didn't have a big meeting, uh, a big, uh, you know, quorum or whatever you want to call it, uh, to discuss how we're going to get in this conversation. So, but they knew my feelings on it and I was a little headstrong as always. And, uh, I went out on the ledge and said, if we, if we don't hire this guy, we're, we're nuts. You know, and I think one of the reasons he didn't get his break in WCW was because the guys at the top of the car didn't want to compete with him. That's my take on it. He's a hell of a worker. He's going to outwork most guys. I don't give a shit if he's five ten or five eleven or five nine and three quarters. I could care less. All I know is he got results when he got in the ring and the bell rang. He was as good as there was. So that's kind of where I looked at it. But you know, I know those guys were influenced by some of their buddies on the roster who are taller, bigger, maybe. It's not going to fit. So anyway, that's kind of where we were. We didn't have any serious, uh, pre meeting, uh, dialogue that I can recall. Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for mother's day and father's day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget real quick. Do you remember what you got mom or dad last year for mother's day or father's day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad. Who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet. Who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical Island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even pick the frame. 
The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted and you're going to get that reaction you wanted from mom or dad. I'm telling you, this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousin, for my wife. It's great for any occasion, but with mother's day and father's day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from paintyourlife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, paintyourlife.com can hook you up. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text R-O-S-S to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. And of course, uh, as the legend goes, he winds up sitting in on a booking meeting. And if he wasn't happy with his creative in WCW, that's probably a smart strategy just to see that, right. You know, here's a peek under the hood at what our creative process is like. And Chris even writes about there being a funny moment when, uh, I guess, uh, Vince's housekeeper brought a plate of brownies in there and it was maybe a test, you know, does he get another brownie? Cause and then Vince got one and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it goes well. And you wind up joining Jerry, uh, in a uh, secret meeting in Tampa. Uh, Jericho described it in his book as he was going to agree to a $450,000 a year contract, which is less than what his WCW offer was, but he knew there right. was an upside and he felt like there was a much bigger upside with the WWF than there was in WCW. Do you remember this whole, t- uh, double secret meeting with you and Jerry in Tampa? Yeah. I don't know how s- it was secret only from the standpoint that we wanted to kind of keep the official, uh, romancing off the radar. Uh, if we're going to bring him in and we could bring him in as a surprise, it'd be even better for him. And that's what happened there. As we mentioned there in Chicago with that countdown clock, why two? Y2J, uh, whatever it was anyway, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect when we met. I knew that the groundwork had been laid. Uh, Vince was, was just fine with, uh, with, uh, the meeting we had in Tampa. Cause I wanted to see now what, what did you think Chris of the meeting? How can we make this work? What can we do to get you on the team? You know, what do you need? Cause I'll tell you, I can't tell you what they're offering. It's just no way in hell. We can sit here and talk all day long and we can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. And it ain't going to change. But, but the issue is, is that the offer we gave him was a lot of money. Yeah. A 450 K is a good, a good uh, starting salary, especially 20 a, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we we're being very fair, but the key component of that was convincing him that our, our incentive program, in other words, getting paid on how many on the house old school commission, so to speak, a payoff. 
uh, was real. And I gave him some, without naming names, I gave him some, uh, uh, illustrations. Uh, this guy has got a $300,000 downside, but last year he made 1.8 million or he made I, at one time we had 20 something guys on our roster that were making over a million. That's a, it's incredible. And they made that, they got that million dollar number Conrad by productivity. They sold tickets or sold pay-per-views or sold merchandise. So I think that was probably the only hurdle that we had to overcome there, that it was really a true payoff system. And, uh, but we had a great meeting. He and Jerry and I, <laughs> he was a fan of the Briscoes and, and Chris student of the game. And, uh, and, and we both loved him. We thought, we thought he could work heel or baby face. I love the fact that he was durable. So, uh, it was a great meeting. And, uh, soon thereafter, guess what? We signed him when his contract was over and he, and he didn't renew there at, uh, WCW. Uh, we, we closed the deal very quickly. So, you know, are you having any sort of creative discussions with him? I mean, Bruce has always maintained that whenever a, a talent <laughs> came in, Vince would always offer nothing more than opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so he wouldn't say you know, necessarily I'm guaranteeing you X, Y, Z. So we know that wasn't the nature of the conversation, but yep. do you remember, I mean, I think it, it's probably a fair question to say, Hey, what do you guys have in mind? Especially if he wasn't necessarily happy with his creative on the WCW side of things, are you throwing out hypothetical opponents or hypothetical storylines or anything? Or is it really just all about here's the opportunity? No, we no, it's beyond that It's beyond. Here's the opportunity. And Bruce is right. Uh, for many, many years, that was, uh, that was uh, the MO. I'm going to give you great opportunity and blah, blah, blah. Well, the, as the business evolved that you need to do a little bit more than that. People had questions. Uh, Jericho had a deal. He could stay in Atlanta TFN, or he could have got booked in Japan by, by way of one phone call. So he had options. Yeah. A lot of guys came to WWE, WWF, whatever, and didn't have a lot of options. So they were more than willing to get as long as they got a Jersey and they're, they're, they're in the team locker room. They're cool. Uh, Jericho had a little bit more higher expectations than that. And it's, and he's very creative. And that's why I was telling Vince, I said, hell, he's got a zillion ideas and you may not like half of them, but there may be two or three that you really dig that can help him get over and become a player quickly. And that millennial clock that came down the countdown was Jericho's idea. Yeah. Supposedly he sees that, uh, in the post office and, and it sparks the big idea. And we know it's going to be a big part of his debut, but ahead of the debut, his signing is announced on the company website, WWF.com. What's the strategy in terms of sometimes we announce the big signings and sometimes we try to keep it a secret and give everybody a big surprise. Does that simply come down to Vince's mood at the time, or is that yep. a creative decision or w how does that get decided? All coming through Vince. Uh, he's trying to serve many masters, build up the, uh, uh, WWE.com uh, site, make it more entertaining and more desirable. I didn't like it. I thought we should have kept, kept it under wraps, but we did it well enough to keep it under wraps that nobody saw it coming. I don't think 
in Chicago that night. I thought that was a nice surprise and uh, with a rock in the ring, cutting one of his, you know, infamous promos. They're always great, entertaining. That's why I said, Brian Gewertz had a lot to do with that dialogue and the producing of that. Uh, he's always in rock sky and still is this very day. Uh, I saw Brian was going back to, I guess, I'll, I guess they take the young rock in Australia. I'm thinking. So, uh, anyway, there is up for another season, which is great, but I, I, I think that, uh, the countdown clock was a brilliant idea. He interrupted the rock. How, if that don't put you on the radar, put you in the front of mind awareness of the WWE fans, nothing's going to. So I, I thought that was a great kickoff for him and it was his idea. So all of a sudden he sees that my creative ideas are significant and they're being respected and somebody's listening. And that's really what all the talents want. They want somebody to listen and they want to have an imp- and what they want to have a, uh, the input on their own creative. And why would you blame them? You know, why would you blame them? So, uh, it was a great night there in Chicago. I remember, I remember the crowd. We weren't sure how the crowd was going to react, but buddy, they reacted big time. They were ready for Chris Jericho. Well, you know, this big countdown finally pays off in the middle of the rocks promo. Um, boy, you want to talk about getting thrown into the deep end. You're going to go one-on-one on the microphone with the rock. This is a, this is a real life test here. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also how do you, what is your demeanor? Do you look like you belong? Do you look like you're in the same, uh, level as uh, Dwayne Johnson and Chris had that confidence that I, I can be a main event guy. I can work with rock. I can work with Austin. I can work with anybody and he could, and he did. So, uh, I thought it was a phenomenal way and a fantastic way to introduce him. And he stood toe to toe with rock in that little promo battle. And a lot of guys have been very intimidated with a full house there in Chicago. Uh, there in, uh, in, no, it wasn't Rosemont. What is it called now? Chicago's uh, all state arena. Yeah. 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 So he hung in there, man. And he, he proved he could get in the deep water and swim. Let's mention too, that, uh, well, I guess we just want to add context when we saw, when we last saw Jericho in WCW, where he's frustrated with creative, he's beating Perry Saturn in a loser wears a dress match. And now he's interrupting the rocks promo. (laughs) That's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Like sitting in the middle seat and coach. Are getting that aisle seat in first class or, or a private jet. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, yeah, that's better. Even, uh, uh he showed you, he showed he belong. That's what we wanted. <laughs> that's what we needed to see. Do you belong in the same page with the rock? And he looked like he had been there forever. Unfortunately, there is no real follow through or follow up on that moment with the rock. Uh, he gets into a quick feud against road dog, X-Pac, Ken Shamrock. And really the biggest thing of note is you guys give him a quote unquote heater, Mr. Hughes. Right. I'm curious from your perspective, where does Curtis Hughes come from in this Jericho package? Well, I'm a big fan of Curtis Hughes. Uh, I've known him for a long time. I used to kid him about the fact that he was a defensive tackle for, uh, Kansas state wildcats. And of course me being, a uh, much like you a, uh, you know, 
kind of proud of my team, the Sooners. You're proud of your team, the Crimson Tide. Sure. Uh, I used to call them the Mild Cats. M I L D cats. And he'd laugh and all that. Good, good natured, big guy. You know, he almost got fired after WrestleMania nine because he fell asleep in the airport and coach and the chief Jay Strongbow said, he's high. Oh, look at that guy. We, I got to tell, I got to tell Caesar Caesar of course is Vince. Uh, we got, we got to get rid of this guy. Uh, he, he derived to that conclusion by sitting across the way with his wife and me get ready to fly back to Connecticut. And there was Curtis on the other side, uh, dozing off until we found out he's had a, he had a sleep disorder and narcolepsy or whatever the hell it's called. I probably named it wrong, but Curtis was Curtis battled through it. And I, I like Curtis. I don't know that Chris needed a heater. Uh, that was just kind of the trend at that time. You know, diesel became Shawn Michaels heater. This guy's got a heater. I don't know where that came from. Oh, the heater, Ricky major league. Uh, so, uh, I, I didn't think we needed it, but look, if it had clicked better, bigger then I, I win. Cause my guy Jericho is getting special treatment. He's getting handled, you know, creatively well. So, uh, but Curtis is a good guy. Curtis is getting ready to write a book, which should be very entertaining. He kind of, I think he wants me to write the forward to it. Uh, but it's interesting. You know, he wasn't politically corrected. He was a black man, uh, in a, in a land of white decision makers. And so I got a lot of time for Curtis Hughes, but I just didn't think that was the right casting for him. He should have been a big monster heel on his own, in my opinion. Well, it doesn't last long. He's going to come and go in this Jericho package pretty quickly. And then Howard Finkel winds up being his lackey. And frankly, this isn't the top level guy run that he probably envisioned when he's interrupting the rock after this big millennium man countdown. Right. And the rumor in innuendo at the time was he wasn't being given rave reviews of his work. And allegedly one of his biggest critics behind the scenes was triple H. And we've heard a lot over the years that even if you come into the world wrestling federation which it was at the time, of course, if you didn't work the WWF style, it kind of didn't matter in, in terms of, well, you know, this guy was over in Japan or he was over in Mexico or he was over in WCW. Well, they didn't exist. Conrad. The story was there was a different style and you had to learn the WWF style. Do you agree with that? Or was that just nonsense? I think you need to learn the WWF E whatever initial you want to throw in there. Uh, feel the atmosphere, uh, the society of WWE, you had to understand there were certain things you could, you should do and should not do there. Uh, and I think I, I, I just, I don't know. I I'm, uh, I don't know. Triple H probably didn't like him because he's shorter and he's a hell of a hand and some, somebody are going to get, uh, they're going to get, uh, you know, figure out what he's, what he's all about and all that stuff. But I, I, I always thought that I thought that for a guy as smart as Paul Levesque, and he is, I, I saw where he's getting better from his heart issues, which is great. Uh, you know, he's so smart 
Hence, I call him the ninja, the cerebral assassin on, on an entrance. Vince loved to come up and do That's good shit. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things he said to me over the years. That's good shit. So I had a lot of good shit, <laughs> I guess. And, but I, I don't, I never, there's got to be a motive there. There's got to be an agenda of some kind, Conrad. Why, why uh, Triple H would say that. And I believe it was politically based. Now, he won't agree with that. Uh, he's also the guy that said he didn't care about that old piss that company that's, never, that's not going to make it because this is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> Always something. Man. Do you think in hindsight, Russo leaving for WCW hurt Jericho's initial run? It feels like Russo would have been all about what Jericho was doing as he had that over the top character in WCW and it was improvisational and, and fun. It feels like that would have been right up Vince Russo's alley, but Jericho debuts in early August and by early October, Russo's gone. So they only had an opportunity to really cross paths here for like 60 days in hindsight. Would Russo have been a big advocate for Jericho? Do you think? I think he would have been, uh, what's there not to like. Yeah. And he's versatile and he, you know, Russo was always a, uh, a dialogue guy. You know, you're not going to go to Russo to get him to lay out a match for you. You got Pat Patterson for that, Jerry Briscoe for that, Jack Lanza for that, all these other veterans that, uh, knew the system and they understood the role. Uh, Russo was good at skits and, and, uh, and promos and dialogue and things of that nature. So he would have loved working with Jericho because Jericho could pull off those things. He had skill sets in those areas, but I don't think it had a significant issue with it. I never heard Russo or excuse me, uh, Jericho going to morning or, you know, have to take a sabbatical to get confidence back after Russo left. And I know I'm being half-assed negative to Russo here, but I don't mean to be. Yeah, he would have liked working with Jericho, but I don't think Jericho, Jericho just wanted to be where he was in the company and he kept building those relationships. And I, and eventually he built a really good relationship with Vince. I want to mention, um, Jericho gets put in a feud with China, which is where supposedly the heat comes from. He's supposed to bump and feed for her, but when he accidentally busts her face up, he gets heat for quote unquote, working too stiff. Yeah. Do you remember this incident and any potential fallout from him? And do you ever wind up having a conversation with him about it? Since you are running talent relations here, uh, we may have chatted about it or said, look, you get some heat on him because China's politically collect, con, uh, connected. Uh, she, I think she was dating triple H at the time. And so he came, he rode in with his white horse and, his, uh, and rescued her. Uh, it was a, look, it was a potato. It was inadvertent. He didn't go out to hurt her. He didn't intend to hurt her. It just happened. And let's also be honest about it. Uh, you know, I, I had hours of conversations with Joni over the years, especially in the last year or so of her career there. Uh, she was not Jack Briscoe. She was not triple H. Uh, and so anything that went awry, I'm sure he, he was going to hear about it from her. And, you know, that's why I've always said, you know, wrestling relationships are very daunting. They, they seldom work, but, uh, and some have like his, his 
Triple H's marriage to Stephanie has been beautiful. They got, I think three beautiful daughters. So, uh, but I, I just said, you know, you're going to get some heat over this deal. But Jericho was undaunted. He had, he, you couldn't intimidate the little bastard. He was fearless and he knew that it was a potato. They happen all the time in wrestling. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't think it bothered him a hell of a lot. I'm sure he apologized like a pro would other than that, you know, it was kind of one dimensional source of consternation was from one person. Armageddon 99, they have a pay-per-view match and Chris Jericho wins the intercontinental title from China. That's a real sentence. Meltzer would say this was actually the best wrestling match on the show, which is a real credit to Jericho because China was really exposed with her bad looking offense, particularly the forearms, which she needs to retire from her repertoire that Jericho had to sell her bouncing off the ropes, like someone beginning wrestling school. So he was pretty critical here. Uh, he being Meltzer pronouns, pal, uh, yeah. after the match, China interrupted Jericho's interview and told him that she was the better wrestler last month, but he was this month and shook his hand two and a quarter stars. So it's pretty cool. It's a big deal for Jericho to win the intercontinental title, but it's probably not the way he envisioned it. He won it from China. Yeah. Well, nobody envisioned it. Yeah. I, one of the things, and this is going to get heat on me. I know, but let the hide go with the towers. They say in the country, uh, I, I was, I've never been a, a big, big fan of intergender matches. I think they've become very easily become very hard to buy, hard to believe. And, uh, and there's safety issues involved. Jericho had to dumb his game down to have the match get two and a half stars from Meltzer in this thing. He had to back off a little bit. He had to, he couldn't do everything he wanted to do. He sure couldn't work as snug as he normally worked. That was one of his calling cards. And I think the audience would love that they attached to that. So, uh, I'm just not a big fan of those intergender matches, but because of triple H's influence and his relationship with China and his relationship with Vince, she got, she got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of breaks and, uh, without, without a doubt, you know, somebody, I remember somebody telling Austin and I were talking and I just screw in with him. So, you know, uh, I think they're going to do a big program with you in China. It's went off on me. I was made it up. I was just screwing with him. Or as they say in New York city, I was busting balls. And, uh, that was a relationship Steve and I had then and still do now. We have fun with each other. So, uh, I think that, that she got moved along too fast. And the intergender shit. Now the Russo would love the intergender stuff because it was an attraction. It was a gimmick. And, uh, just me and not, it's not Russo, but just my personal taste is I didn't like inner intergender matches. And there's going to be somebody who's going to hear this. So, you know, JR, you're behind the times and all that stuff. It's just not realistic in a lot of ways. So, uh, but that's kind of where we were with that. She got, she was on the right side of the aisle was China. And she got a break that, uh, a lot of the boys, I had to listen to it. They wish they had, they wish they got that break. They wish they had been intercontinental champion. Instead, it was a woman. 
which is going to sound very uh, unpolitically correct for me to say that. I get that too. So I apologize if I offend anybody with that remark. It is a personal preference. I'd rather not be engaged in an intergender match. And maybe I am too old school. To me, though, it just doesn't seem realistic. In Jericho's book, he talks about a meeting on Raw the next day between you, Vince, uh, Chris, and uh, Jack Lanza. And you're discussing Jericho's work. This meeting obviously isn't a surprise to you. You're a quote unquote office at the time. Do you remember this meeting and, and why it was necessary? Oh, vaguely. I remember it, but it was necessary because Vince had been convinced that Jericho was careless and, uh, that he was, uh, he wasn't safe. He wasn't safe with one woman in an intergender match. Are you kidding? So, uh, yeah, I remember that now, you know, re- going back over all of our notes as I did last night, I, I just think that, uh, you know, Vince had to, he had, he was at Vince was then able to go tell triple H who we were counting on. He was becoming a huge star, great heel, uh, that, uh, I talked to, I talked to Jericho. I got that cleared up. Okay. So that's one squeaky wheel that moves on to something else. So I think that's kind of what it was. Triple H's influence with Vince is strong. And then you know, who, who would have dreamed in that era that he would become Vince's son-in-law. So Jericho has to apologize to China after the meeting. And yep. as the legend goes from Jericho's book, Vince called Jericho, the drizzling shits and says, moving forward, he has to run all of his matches through X-Pac and, uh, Vince says he feels like he was sold a bill of goods. That was good for me. Right. That's like that's slapping me in the face here. Just hit me again. Right there. If you can Vince, that'd be good. Slap me with an open hand. If you can break my eardrum, I, I, I didn't like it how, again. It was, it just wasn't objective. How much of this. And again, by the way, I want to just take a time out. Shout out to, uh, Paul Levesque. We hear that he has made a speedy recovery and he appreciates all the support. We know he had a health event and they're keeping all that close to the vest, but we're so grateful that he's here and his contributions, but we are talking about something that happened 20 years ago. And it does feel like this meeting is maybe Hunter's request. We're talking about this guy was, was, was too rough and hurt my girlfriend at the time. And oh, by the way, moving forward, all of your matches need to be run through my, one of my very best friends, Mr. Sean Waltman. <laughs> hey, look, I love Sean Waltman. God bless him. He's, he's texting me all the time and checking on me. How you feeling? Or, you know, it's always positive feedback. I love this kid. Uh, and I was, uh, I was very happy to be able to work with uh, Sean. I think Sean's got a great mind. We can, hey, Vince could have picked a better we've been challenged to pick a better person to go over Jericho's matches than, uh, than Sean Waltman, who's a true student of the game and still is. Uh, but it was very insulting to Jericho. It was a little bit insulting to me and not because of X Pac, the X factor didn't have anything to do with it. It's just the fact that you're almost, you're neutering and trying to kill the spirit of a guy that I had high hopes for. And I didn't want to see that opportunity go to flesh down the toilet because of a personal issue. So 
the goofy segment where Jericho and China do a double pin and are named co-intercontinental champion. What do you think old Leroy McGurk would have thought of that creative? Well, much like the cowboy, it would never have happened. Yeah. You wouldn't have put yourself in that position. That was the sports entertainment side of WWE really becoming more of a profound, uh, impact, uh, to how we philosophize the shows sports entertainment. And certainly that was sports entertainment. It wasn't an athletic, uh, traditional issue. It was sports entertainment. And, and look, I ain't bitching about sports entertainment. The sports entertainment business made me a lot of money and, and had, I had 26 great years there at WWE by and large, a few little exceptions, but by and large, it was fine. The checks always cleared and they came on time and, and I got a lot of exposure to blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I, I just felt bad for Chris, but here's the thing about Chris. He hung in there. A lot of guys would say, screw this shit. I don't need some, I don't need somebody to tell me how to work. And they didn't, he's good. Really? Still is really good. He's 50. Now he's still really good. So, uh, I, I felt badly for Chris, but to his credit, he didn't give up the ship. He stayed in the saddle and rode it out and, and the good things would then eventually come to him. So it's Jericho versus China versus Bob Holly that happens at the Royal rumble in 2000 at Madison square garden, which is obviously a big deal for Chris since his uh, father grew up as a New York Ranger. Yeah. They go seven and a half minutes and only gets a star and a half. And Meltzer would say plainly China ruined the match. Uh, and he would, he would wrap it up saying, even though Jericho did the coolest moves in the ring, Holly was actually the best worker of the three man. You talk about, uh, humble beginnings. It feels like Jericho, despite his best effort, he's just having quite the bad run of luck here. Even though he is having an intercontinental championship run, it's not exactly the way he would have ever envisioned it. And it would be easy to think that, you know, some self doubt is creeping into Jericho. Of course it wasn't for any of us, but for you or me, anybody else, of course, that's why I say Jericho, he rode out the storm. He did. And he didn't give up. So the goal is obvious. We're trying to get Jericho away from China, but considering what's about to happen. Well, the radicals make their way to the WWF Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn. All the men that worked very, very well and became close friends with Jericho and WCW and even before jump ship. Now, some would say that this overshadows Chris, but others would say it gave him the ability to work with some familiar talent, maybe gain some confidence back in his work. Do you remember Chris being excited that his old pals are, are making the move here? Yeah. And, and primarily because it gave Chris the opportunity to have some potentially outstanding matches with guys that he was comfortable with, he respected and that could wrestle. And he didn't have to worry about getting too physical with Benoit or Eddie or Saturn or Dean, any of those guys. And, uh, you know, Dean still to this very day is, uh, you know, we have coaches, not agents or producers in AEW, but Dean oftentimes is called upon to, uh, be the coach or Jericho's matches. So they still have great chemistry and they get along well, but, uh, no, I don't think he was upset at all. And I don't, and I disagreed wholeheartedly with the fact that, you know, well, that, that derailed his push. That's people talking out their ass. 
they read, read about push so damn much and heard about it so much on, uh, ad free shows.com that they think they really know. And it didn't affect his push, uh, you, cause you're only going to be as good as your last match. And, and Jericho never had any bad matches in my opinion, except that, uh, uh debacle with the China and that intergender stuff. And, and the other thing too, about the intercontinental title, the intercontinental title had very little cachet at that point in time. It wasn't the great Tito Santana, Pat Patterson, uh, all those, you know, all these other guys that helped the, uh, IC title with a distinction. It, it didn't have the cachet. It didn't have the, the, the clout. So I don't know. He was get, I don't know how great it, it was it's symbolic, I guess, much as anything, but, uh, the intercontinental title wasn't a prize. It wasn't a made man maker. Right. Jericho drops the IC title to Kurt Angle at No Way Out, which obviously no slouch there. And now he finds himself booked at the first, his first WrestleMania. It's going to be a three-way dance with Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Let's just take a pause right there. Uh, obviously we know what happened with Benoit, but before that was the story, he had a reputation of being arguably the best wrestler in the world. And so did Kurt Angle. And now they're both in there with Chris Jericho. What a big time WrestleMania concept. This is, I mean, your old pal, who's arguably one of the best of all time. And now Kurt angle, who's on a lot of Mount Rushmore's. And by the way, it's an interesting twist. We've got the European championship and the intercontinental championship being defended. And I think this is the first time something like this happens. The first fall determines who will be intercontinental champion. And the second fall determines who will be the European champion. If that's a little confusing to follow, well, join the club, but yeah. still the match itself, uh, is uh, pretty good. Meltzer would say this was technically the best wrestling match on the show, but it didn't have very much heat and the wrestling from all three was well below the standard you'd, you'd expect from them. I don't know if it was nerves or a reaction to the dead crowd and it was good, but you'd expect great in this setting. And I think this is very much the era where wrestling fans were looking for the biggest stars possible. And at that point, Kurt angle was not yet a made man. And Chris Benoit was new to the promotion and Jericho. Well, he's been wrestling ladies. So <laughs> the, the, they're not where they're going to be as far as star star power goes. And I've never been a wrestler, but I imagine based on what I hear that being in a, a three-way dance is uh, a bit of a clusterfuck, I think is the industry term. And, and you have all of that with this big crowd. And there's this extra layer of, well, this belt's on the line here and that belt's on the line there. It's a challenge. Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I thought that, uh, the match under delivered. And I thought that, uh, it might've been overthought, uh, quite honestly, Conrad, uh, this fall, this, you know, and, and Jericho found himself in the, in that situation a lot. Uh, it's these crazy stipulations. It's as if he was being tested. Well, okay, here's this. So uh, we're going to throw this at you. Can you make it work? You know, here's this hot shot. Everybody's bragging on. Can you make it work? And. And I, and, and he did, he always survived it, even though it wasn't the best booking. I don't think this is the best booking. And by the way, it has nothing to do with our fellow podcaster, Kurt angle. No, 
Kurt didn't book the card. No, he didn't book the stipulations. He didn't lay out how much time you're going to have. So, uh, it, it was a questionable booking to say the least. And I certainly would be changing my tune if it had, they had pulled off a four or five star classic that was not in the cards on that night. It's interesting because Jericho points out in his book that he's on the WrestleMania 2000 poster. Uh, but the main event is a four way for the WWF title. Of course, Mick Foley winds up being the fourth man in the match. The other three are the rock big show and triple H. Of course, as we remember when it comes to stone cold, Steve Austin, somebody hit that motherfucker with a car. So he's not here. Um, but the original plan had to be Jericho. He's on the doggone preliminary posters and, and all of the, the things that you have to print and, and get it, get out ahead of time in order right. to promote this big event, Jericho's there along with the rock big show and triple H. But when it comes time for showtime, he's not there. And that makes me feel like Vince had really for lack of a better word, changed his mind on Jericho. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I think it's a good assessment. I think that's a good assessment. Conrad, you just, it, it took, a, it took, uh, obviously as we're speaking about this, it took Vince a, a, a significant amount of time to develop trust yeah. in Jericho. And, uh, as soon as Jericho started getting over and he proved time and time again, that he was a great worker. You had guys like triple H and others that's kind of loosened their belt on that thing, unscrewed the, you know, unscrewed it a little bit because they knew that, Hey, this son of a bitch is getting over whether I like it or not. And I need opponents to work with. And I think I can have some great matches. With this guy, I think cooler heads or smarter heads prevailed in time, but I would say, yes, that Jericho was probably planning. They probably plan on Jericho being in that four way, but whatever political reason or whatever, what else could there be? Yeah. I'm talking about politics here. You know, like I'm a, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson or somebody. I'd like to slap him someday. Tucker Carlson couldn't <laughs> handle it. I would. Uh, so anyhow, uh, well, I won't ever do it. I'm not, don't give me a federal suit on this thing, but he's just shits. Uh, yeah, I said it. Tucker Carlson is the shits. Self-gratifying little bastard. Uh, but I, I don't know what happened. I, Mick Foley's the one that got the spot. And, and by the way, we're not disparaging Mick. We love us some oh. Mick, and I'm glad he's there. But it is interesting to feel. It does feel like Vince has sort of made his mind up. Nope, he's not ready. Whatever. Or perhaps, again, not to be a conspiracy theorist, who are the other folks in the match? The Rock. Big show and triple H. Hmm. This leads to a special night in state college, uh, where Jericho is going to pin triple H to win the WWF title. And my God, what a gigantic pop. I remember where I saw that match. I remember, uh, everything about that moment. And of course it's a dusty finish and the title goes back to triple H, but that had to show Vince something, right? I mean, to see the way the crowd was with it. What a moment it was a goosebump moment. Yeah, it was again. It was hard to sell Vince on Chris, even though, and I, and I think uh, as much as anything, uh, and I, I have, I've had this conversation with Vince on more than one occasion. I really 
appreciate the opportunity to be in charge of talent relations. I really appreciate the opportunity to revamp our roster, uh, to address issues in our locker room, but you got to let me do my job. If I fail, I fail. And I know that if I fail frequently enough, you're going to replace me. I get that. And I got no problem with that. Uh, but I, I, uh, it was a tough, it was tough for both of us. I, I thought sometimes of Vince's angst to me, you know, he'd, he'd lash out to a talent and, and that was, that was one of those opportunities or one of those situations. So Jericho becomes the intercontinental champion again by, uh, defeating Chris Benoit, but loses it right back to Benoit on raw. Uh, Jericho is going to be a part of the, uh, triple main event at fully loaded 2000. It's a last man standing match against triple H Meltzer would give it four and a half stars. They get 23 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, four and a half stars is, is rarefied air for a WWF match at the time. Uh, pretty routinely and regularly. He was rating five-star matches, uh, over in. Uh, Japan, but uh, American soil had not seen a five-star match in a long time. So Meltzer was really, really high on this one. Do you remember this fully loaded main event? Because it does feel like if the rumor in innuendo is true, these guys were political enemies behind the scenes, but boy, they created magic here in front of a live crowd. Yeah. There were two great pros, Connie, uh, the two pros that didn't want to go out there and look bad. They wanted to steal the show. And you can say, well, that's their massive egos. Let me tell you something. And I believe it's this way in sales. I believe this way in a lot of things in life. If you don't have an ego to support your skills, you're going to have a very challenging time to be successful in pro wrestling. You got to have a little ego and you can also turn that as self-confidence. I prefer to use the self-confidence level than the ego. Cause sometimes when you talk about ego, it is reminiscent of it's all about me. And I think, uh, that's not always the, the ego is not always the case. They're pros. And, uh, it's just ironic that Chris had come a long way. Uh, Chris Jericho had come a long way from those intergender matches where he had to apologize for being too stiff. Are you shitting me? Come on. You know, I, I just, I, that's the bad. That's one of the negative parts of pro wrestling that you can't escape. No matter what company you're with, you can't escape. Uh, politics and, 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 uh, dressing room lawyers. Goddamn. One of the first terms I heard when I got into wrestling business in 1974 was hey, watch this guy, kid. He's a dressing room lawyer. Hell, I didn't even know what, I had no idea what that meant. Right. It's like my, my mentors telling me what a Broadway was when I'm walking to the ring to do my first Broadway with a Dory Funk jr. And Harley race. I ain't got a clue what Broadway meant. They didn't smart me up to that. So it's just, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you gotta learn as you go, but nonetheless, I, I thought that Chris had come a long way and that he and Hunter did have a hell of a match. They really did. And it, it was a highlight of that show in my opinion. So, uh, it's obvious that Hunter and Jericho had chemistry and even though they maybe had some issues outside of the ring, you couldn't tell when the bell rang. Coming off a big match like that and SummerSlam around the corner, what's next? Chris Benoit and a two out of three falls match. Uh, Chris Benoit would win two of the three falls from Jericho in 13 minutes and two seconds. Meltzer would say, of course it was a good match, but it was missing something and seemed rushed. They may have been given longer. 
Of course, the first fall happens in just three minutes and 15 seconds, and then another in five ten, and and lastly in four minutes and 37 seconds, three and a quarter stars. You know, I don't usually ever care about the length of a match, but for Benoit and Jericho, and it is a two out of three falls match. It does feel like 13 minutes is awfully fast. Yeah. They didn't have the right political connections. Neither guy to, to lobby for more time. Isn't it ironic that triple H and Jericho got, what was it? You said a while ago, 23 minutes or something. Yeah. Well, that was all on, on, on Hunter. Hunter got the time and, and cause it helps him tell a better story. Ironically, that philosophy is now, not now long, no longer, uh, applicable simply because, uh, it's Jericho and Benoit and they were two guys that a lot of the bigger guys didn't want to, didn't even want me to hire. Right. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, are you really being objective? Are you being realistic? How could any roster that has a chance to work with Chris Benoit and or Chris Jericho, not want them on the team. It's just, they're going to take some spots. They're going to be great competitors. Uh, they're going to set the bar high, no matter who they work with. But it's just strange to me that that was ever even an issue, quite frankly. At this point, he's been in the company for a year. He's not exactly a tippy top guy, but he's not really a mid Carter either, but he started as a heel and now it almost feels like he's more of a, a bland baby face compared to the over the top personality we saw from him in WCW. What was Jericho missing as a character? Or is it more that WWE creative didn't understand Jericho yet? I think the latter there, Conrad is, is it be my suggestion. Yeah. They just didn't get him yet. And his creative went around the world. It's over here and it's over there. And he's. And it was just, it wasn't really fair to him. That's why I say that he had great character and integrity to not jump ship, to not say, okay, screw it. I would, I'll, I'll serve out my term. Uh, I'll get paroled and I'm out of here. Uh, he didn't quit and, and, and him not quitting paid off in big money and many other dividends as we go forward. Jericho is uh, sort of pushed down the card for unforgiven in Philadelphia. He's going to get a match against X-Pac that gets nine minutes and three seconds. Uh, it's a three and a half star match according to, uh, according to Meltzer, but Jericho gets the win. As we said, it's described as a fast paced, really good match. And, uh, he would even note X-Pac had his working shoes on more than any time in months, you know, it's interesting when we talk about Sean Waltman, because fans, for whatever reason, online decided years ago, there was a thing called X-Pac heat where for whatever reason, they just didn't like him. Uh, and I I've always believed that's probably because he was a heel and that meant he was doing his job. Yeah. Uh, but inside the business, it's been said for a long time that he was kind of the measuring stick of whether or not a guy was a good performer. Would you consider that a fair assessment that? X-Pac was like the barometer. And if Waltman gave you the nod, then Hey, you could really go. Well, he was a barometer. I don't know if he was the barometer, quite frankly. Uh, but Sean had the reputation of being able to work very well with anybody as a baby face or a heel. I thought, I always thought that, uh, Sean, I had, I had different opinions. I thought at times he was a better baby face than a heel and vice versa. 
all that's saying and cutting to the chase is Sean Waltman was one hell of a worker and he could work really well with anybody, no matter what the roles were. So uh, but saying he was the barometer might be giving him a little bit too much credit. The, um, the whole Jericho train continues because he's going to get married to X-Pac as we get to no mercy in Albany, New York, they work a cage match, which is a super underrated match. And I think you should go out of your way to see it. It's only 10 minutes and 40 seconds, but even Meltzer would say this was a very innovative cage match in that they did a lot of spots that have never been done before in that cage, but it like a lot of matches on the show was hurt by lack of crowd heat. Uh, but go out of your way to see this one. I want to mention again, we're talking no mercy, Albany, New York, 2000 and, uh, Meltzer loved it. He gave it three and a half stars, but there's a lot of, uh, cool stuff here, including standing on the top of the cage. There's a platform in the corner, uh, and you're seeing big bumps off of that, like a legit nine foot drop. Um, X-Pac and, and, uh, Jericho have both proven that they're willing to try things and, uh, you know, damn the torpedoes, if you will. But when you let these guys go out here and you put like a, a prop in the match, like the cage match, uh, they put together a hell of a match. They did. They did. And quite frankly, I think, uh, you know, we, I work in this AEW stuff all the time because that's where I'm residing. Uh, they, in AEW, oftentimes the talents have the ideas for their matches on their own. And then they run it through a Dean Malenko or Jerry Lynn etc. Uh, and I just think that that if we'd have done more of that in the WWE in that era, and you let, you let a guy like the X Pac and a guy like Chris Jericho lay out their own, their own creative, you put, you approve it, you hear it, you approve it. And you go, then finally you got to go to Vince and say, this is what you're going to do. Bing, bing, bing. Uh, you know, I, I just think that that they got to do that a little bit in that, in that cage match. Cause they both knew they were in a, is a tough spot. You know, what do you got a, you got a cage match. It goes, what'd you say? How long it was Connie? It, it was not very uh, long. 10 minutes and change. Yeah. That was, that's not, that's not really great, but they knew what they knew. They had to cause all the times are lauded to guys, the other guys, what's they your were above what, them on the card. What's your line? Maximize your minutes. They did yeah. that. Yeah, they did. And, uh, I'm very. I was very excited about that match. I thought those guys did a great job, quite frankly. It's also important to note that this is the show where Kurt angle defeats the rock for the WWF title. And I just bring that up because I want to add that to proper context. When Jericho signed with the WWF angle, hadn't even debuted on TV yet. And angle is a legit wrestling novice when it comes to pro wrestling. Of course, he's won the Olympic gold medal. So. We're not well, saying, a broken freaking neck, Conrad. Oh, God damn it. Who could forget? Come on. Help uh, a brother out. But still, it feels <laughs> like Angle gets the fast track. Maybe not so much for Jericho. It, how much of that do you believe in hindsight is politics? And how much of that could be attributed to Angle learned the WWF style, quote unquote, and Jericho had to sort of relearn, if that makes sense. I mean, you hear a lot of times when new talent would come over from another promotion, oh, they've got bad habits. They've got to learn the WWE way. 
as if we knew all the answers, right? As if the WWE way was the only way that wrestling doesn't exist anywhere else. We're not going to acknowledge anybody for God's sakes. It's that's a sign to me of gross, uh, insecurity. Are you shitting me? Yeah. The world doesn't, the sun doesn't rise and set only on the WWE. There's a lot of really good talents, a lot of good companies, uh, out there that had, that were not WWE affiliated. And, and I just get so sick of hearing that shit. Oh, the WWE way. What the fuck is that? What is that? Con- what is the WWE way? Could you write a theme on that or, or just give me 10 bullet points of this is the outline to determine the WWE way. Okay. What, what does that even mean? Agree. And, and I know a lot of us that have worked, that worked there. I, I, I was there 26 years. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm not saying everybody did it, but me, oh, oh, JR is smart, man. He didn't buy into all that shit. Well, I'm not saying that I did buy into it because I heard it every single day. And, uh, and Vince had this, to me, it's just a, a sign of insecurity. You know, and I, Bruce and I used to have some of our most, uh, spirited arguments or debates or whatever, uh, regarding that, that theme. And, you know, we're both loyal to Vince. Nobody, I don't know of anybody in wrestling that's been more loyal to Vince than Bruce, other than maybe Pat Patterson, Jerry Briscoe, those guys are there forever. So, uh, but God almighty, what is the WWE way for God's sakes, right? Somebody tell me that I need to know that after all these years, maybe I just missed the whole damn point. And I was there Did I had 26 years experience, or did I have the same experience 26 times? Don't know. But in any event, the WWE, that's just, it's nauseating. You know what? what I just don't know. What is it? What is it? So, and I'm not getting any answers. I don't know the answer. I'm not expecting you to tell me Conrad, because I'm being facetious and a lot of, a lot of ways here. God damn, man. Come on. So Jericho is programmed with Kane for the rest of 2000. He's going to lose to Kane at survivor series, but defeat him in a last man standing match at Armageddon to close his year out. And it's interesting to note because the Armageddon show has a six man hell in a cell match here in Birmingham, Alabama, where we've got Kurt angle. Triple H, the rock, Steve Austin, undertaker and Rikishi, which to me sends a pretty clear message. Jericho's not a top guy yet. Well, not in their opinion. Yes. Not in the officer's opinion. Right. But to the boys in the locker room of and to guys like me, guys like even Pat Patterson, who was a very devote devotee of Vince's, the WWE way. And, and I understand that I love loyalty, but golly, man. Uh, and here's the, uh, here's the other thing, just in my opinion, uh, the, uh, hell in a cell with six guys, an absolute debacle of booking it's desperation booking. we got no better ideas. we got no individuals totally hot. So we're just going to put everything in the stew. I got potato over here. I got a carrot over here. I got some onions here. Oh, well, let's put some sage in there. I'm going to used to do that. They had no clue what they're cooking. And it just, I remember the talents in that six man match, you know, who's going to get the shine. Who's going to get over. It's not about who goes over it is who gets over. That's right. And I just thought it was just 
over, overthought, overbooked. And if you didn't have something hot for somebody, you know, in other words, you can't just go token booking with talents like rock and Austin and triple H even Kurt to a lesser degree at that time, Jesus Christ, Conrad, it just is desperation booking or for, or we don't have a better idea. And quite frankly, we're, they're still selling the hell in a cell on the memory of undertaker throwing Foley off the top of the cage in June of 1998 in Pittsburgh. So the hell in a cell was as over seemingly as the talents in that match who didn't have a common story, bringing them all together. So I don't know. It's just, to me, it was somebody pitched Vince that idea and he, he apparently liked it and that's what they went with. And so then the talents come to him and say, well, what are we going to do? How we get, who's going to get the shine? Who's, who do you want to get over here? What, what's our role? Uh, and that was something he could talk to the talents about and give them a little bit of, uh, lip service. Oh, you're, you're on top. You're in the main event, you know, you're, you're, you're the main, event. I got you the main event, man. It's cool. So take it easy. Yeah. And you know how to get over, you'll get over. So if you have that conversation with everybody, then you got a disjointed piece of shit cluster. So I, I'm not big on that, uh, you know, six man hell in a cell match bullshit is this week. It was weak booking and it wasn't fair to the talent. I'm not absolutely. I am not knocking into the men in that match. Absolutely not. They're friends. I hired a lot of those guys. I managed a lot of those guys. I had no issues, but they were dealt a bad hand. And throughout this little discussion, you and I've had here today on, uh, on, on Chris, we've seen that time and time again. Why would we book that? Yeah. And there's so many agendas that have to be addressed or could th- realistically be addressed. Simply because, uh, you know, well, we, it's got a lot of star power. Well, it's got star power. Okay. Shit. Star power. That the star power. Don't draw it, man. It's a story, personal issues, a championship, uh, a, a crescendo, a program that's spaced out and boom, you got yourself a climax. That's what I do. When I climax up, boom, every time <laughs> I'm kidding folks. I'm getting a little, little uh, red ass here, but nonetheless, I, I, I love it because even before we clicked record today, you said, Hey, just so you know, probably gonna get a little red ass today. And I'm glad, <laughs> by the way, we want to mention because context is King. And, uh, originally we had something else planned for today's episode, but I thought we needed to set the stage. We're going to be back on November 11th to talk about what happens in the next 12 months of Jericho's life. So we just ran through last man standing match with Kane at Armageddon, which is the December 2000 pay-per-view. And of course he's not in the main event with the other six guys, but he is going to be in the main event. One year later, vengeance 2001 is 12 months later. It's the December 01 pay-per-view and famously Chris Jericho would defeat the rock for the WCW world title. And then the glass breaks and here comes stone cold, Steve Austin, the WWF champion. And he beats him too, not just on the same night, but back to back. Uh, I mean, he became the WCW champion and 12 minutes later, he became the WWF champion. And that happened just 12 months later. So Chris Jericho's 2001, we'll pick this story up November 11th, uh, man, Jericho's story is unlike anyone else's. 
And even today, 21 years later, he's main eventing. He's in a prime spot. He's still doing it in a very big way. And it's happening on Wednesdays and Fridays. Thanks to AEW. It's unbelievable. It is. And again, I reiterate, I probably do that too much. He didn't quit Conrad. That's right. He didn't, he didn't give up. He didn't say, oh, hell, I, I'll just, I'm, I'm making decent money and, 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 uh, JR is keeping me booked. So I'll get this house show payoffs. And we were doing some pretty good business at that time. Uh, uh, you know, so oh, it reminds me, but somebody sent me a card from uh, the garden and the, the card I booked and, uh, and so I got that and I said to somebody, I said, who booked this card? <laughs> like God. It had too many guys on it, had too many tags on it, but you had to get guys a payday. And we knew the garden was going to have a big gross. So it's going to be good payoffs. And I said, I will put our AEW roster in a same discussion with the attitude era roster. Now, Conrad, that's my opinion. You may totally disagree with it. And you know how you and I are, we can disagree and everything's cool. Yeah. We're still buddies. That doesn't mean what, yeah. We're not idiots. Yeah. We're not marks for ourselves. <laughs> We're just not. And, and so this roster is evolving much like the attitude era roster was the difference is going to be politics. Our owner is approachable night or day to anybody on the roster from an extra that fears on elevation. Uh, to the main event guys that are on their headlining a pay-per-view, for example. And so that's, I don't think that's going to be a big issue here. And, and, uh, I think Tony Khan's a hell of a booker, but I'm just saying that that roster that I booked that garden card, you can find on Twitter, I think tag in J at JRSBBQ somewhere in that string of shit. Uh, you look at it and you say, I could book a card for AEW that would be comparable. Now it's all not saying that somebody's better than rock or somebody's better than Austin. It's a matter of a, a, a raw, a team, a unit, a group. And I think our, our, our ever developing group is coming along really well. How do you think it makes Jericho feel to know that he's such a positive influence in that whole roster guys come up to him all the time. I see him all the time. He's got a dressing room, a private dressing room as all the EVP does and uh, EVPs do. Uh, I guess I should better use better language. I don't want that Southern thing to be all those Southern boards are stupid. Uh, but he's, he's, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that we're, we're, we're in that era, but I think the key thing is, is that if you got a, a, a scenario where you're going to call somebody the drizzling shits, and I think I've been sold a bill of goods. Is that how you motivate? Right. Are you that fucking insecure? Oh, if it had been your idea and you had spotted this guy and you'd had meetings and you'd develop a line of rapport conversation, it would never have existed because it was your idea events. So, uh, that's, it's just, I look back at some of those times. It's very, very frustrating. And, uh, I'm glad that I stuck it out for as long as I did. And I'm more happy, quite frankly, that Chris Jericho stuck it out because, uh, he developed a brand that is continuing to evolve 
And I can't wait until we talk more about him on November the 11th. It's going to be because this is where you get into the, the, the meat of the goods. This is a sizzle. This is the big stakes we put on a plate on November the 11th for us on Gorilla JR. And this it, was some great stories to talk about there too, buddy. Stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about his 2001, but next week we're going to talk about somebody else's 2001. We're doing a little watch along from the August 8th, 2001 Monday night raw. And I know you're thinking what the hell happened there? Well, it's Indianapolis, Indiana, and the main event is for the world title. Kurt angle is our champion, and he's going to be defending that belt against Steve Austin. As a reminder, we just watched unforgiven 2001. Where just 12 days or so after 9-11, we saw our Olympic hero in front of his family, including his mother in his hometown of Pittsburgh, PA, become the WWE champion. This is where that run will end. And it ends after a 17 minute and change match. So it's a big time main event at maybe peak WWE, October 8th, 2001. I can't wait for us to watch that again. I've just loved listening to your old calls and I, I, I tell you, man, I think wrestling fans these days, I don't know that people are paying enough attention to the commentary and the play by play and the color, and maybe they can say, well, the business has changed and now it's just about promoting your social and where to buy t-shirts, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, but good Lord, the enthusiasm and the inflection and just the sell job that, that you hear in these old shows is unbelievable. And, uh, I'm looking forward to watching that show, but I'm also looking forward to us laying out and just listening to your old commentary from back in the day here, October 8th, 2001. That's next week. I appreciate that Conrad. It'll be a fun show. Uh, I like those watch alongs. Yeah. You see things, you see somebody at ringside. You hadn't thought of in a long time. There's always these little sidebars that we throw in there and, uh, you know, we do it for our audience and, you know, we got a great audience. I was looking the other day at the top rated Apple podcasts. I don't know how many, I can't remember the number. I don't want to make it up, but, uh, I can't remember how many of your shows are in the top 10. There are a lot of Cassio says, uh, and he says this jokingly, of course, listen closely. He says, you know, Conrad's got seven of the top five podcasts. So (laughs) (laughs) that's not (laughs) real, but it is funny. The delivery seven of the top five. Out of what Casio. Yeah. He's a funny bastard. Yes, he is. Well, I appreciate his, uh, research. (laughs) (laughs) nothing likes a good research researcher (laughs) well i tell you what this is reliable yeah you can look at me and tell you and tell that i like to eat Uh, jrsbbq.com is man a home run for grilling season and you might wonder i know when football season is i know when baseball season is when's grilling season well here in alabama 365 yep Uh, every day ending in y there you go and, and, and as long as I've got all purpose seasoning, whatever I'm pulling off the grill is going to be pretty damn good. It's funny because for years, Jim, I have used a, 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 st- a type of steak seasoning that is made here in Alabama. And I've yeah. even brought you some before that you got yeah. to try. It's and, good. And, and it's great stuff. But the other day we got steaks and of course, Megan, uh, was, was doing the sides and doing her thing and getting it ready. And she said, Hey, I got the steaks marinated for you. And I go out there expecting them to be coated in this dark black, almost gunpowder looking substance that I have been used forever <laughs> that I brought you. All nope. Right. She's made the executive decision. It's JR's all purpose seasoning. Uh, and, and, and the rationale was 
Conrad, the stuff you've been using is too high in sodium. We're not using that anymore. We're using this. So, and by the way, the steaks tasted fucking amazing. JRSBBQ.com is the place to get it. This all purpose seasoning. I know I brag on it every week, but I'm going to keep doing it until everyone listening has at least tried it. It's in the not, whole world. It's not a novelty get- buy, Jim. This is, <laughs> this is good stuff. And yeah. You can use it on anything. And yes, he's still got the jerky and yes, he's still got the barbecue sauce that you know about. And yes, he's got the chipotle ketchup and the main event mustard, but the all purpose seasoning, dude, it's, it's like an every meal staple here. Yeah. Steven link. It runs my site and runs to our barbecue business there in Norman, uh, is always got, he's getting really good at creating sales promotions and, and saving people money on, on our products. Uh, so he's working his ass off, but, uh, we're just doing sites doing well. Uh, you know, as I always say, it doesn't cost anything to look jrsbbq.com. Just check it out. Gifts, you know, we're going to be, whether we want to admit it or not, Connie, we're going to be in the holiday season sooner than later. And so I just think that my, uh, our products, uh, the seasoning and so forth make great stocking stuff for yes. good gifts. We have a lot of signed items. We got those gift boxes, Jan's favorite and so forth and so on. Uh, I still got all the, we got slobber knocker, the book slobber knocker, my life in wrestling and under the black hat that we personalize and sign. So, you know, it would, it would be to Conrad or to my friend, Connie. <laughs> I love with those a, cheeks with a, with a teardrop. I love my God. Those cheeks are amazing. Just one night, just one night for those cheeks. Uh, so, uh, just check it out folks. I think, and it's a good food is a good gift to, to, to give people. I think I, I, you know, I got, I got people that send me the same food package every year and I always look forward to it. Yeah. So, uh, give us a shot folks. Give us a try. And, uh, I guarantee you, if you're not satisfied for any reason. You let us know and we will make you happy. And that's all I can say. Customers come first. So, uh, and our, our supporters come first. So give us a shot. JRSBBQ.com. And, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, dance at your next wedding. Hey, and you know what else we're doing? We're doing a lot of bonus stuff over at adfreeshows.com. Uh, my understanding is as you and I are recording this just a few days from now, Kurt Angle's doing a live Q and a, I know you just did one. Arn Anderson just did one. You sat down, watched some old UWF footage. Loved it. I, I think, uh, Eric and Jeff Jarrett watched the first ever Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega match from pro wrestling gorilla. So there's something for everybody, including your old studio sessions. So you want to talk about nostalgia and, and clearly if you're listening to this show, you love nostalgia. What if you got to hear JR's old radio shows from Atlanta and you probably think, well, I don't live in Atlanta. You don't need to, you need to live in the adfreeshows.com right. because we've got them. And you just had Paul Heyman on. So as he was known at the time, Paul E dangerously hearing a little early Paul and you go after each other, uh, <laughs> is, is good stuff, man. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize just till the other day. Uh, and thanks for that. I, I love doing that radio show Sunday nights on WSB radio in Atlanta. Uh, that, uh, Paul had his birthday on September the 11th. I forgot all about that. So uh, that when we did our September 11th show, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think I forgot or neglected to mention that September the 11th is Paul's birthday. 
And, you know, and there still is, I love this, con- this, uh, assumption that he and I hate each other. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, we don't, by the way, that's, that's just out there. Send that out there. Then somebody's gonna say, well, you know, he's just saying that for political reasons, right? I know he hates him. How do you know that you idiot? You know, <sighs> God damn. I just don't give me sweetheart. I'm not going to get back on that tack. Dale, I got, I got football to watch. <laughs> I love God. occasionally you get so wound up. You have an argument that doesn't exist, but you play both sides of it. And it's what we love about you every week, Jim. And we appreciate you spending time with us. Oh, Hey, I, I appreciate this gig, man. And I'm having a time in my life. I, I'll just say this Conrad. I don't know how much longer my broadcasting career is going to be as far as television. Uh, I'm not trying to end it. Right. I'm not trying to give you an end date or some cryptic message. Oh, here's what he really meant. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? That's I am saying, 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 uh, but you know, God dang, man, I, I just, it's just crazy. People are crazy, but I, I'll be doing a podcast with you long after I'm off television. Well, I appreciate that. I look forward to that. So we're going to grow old together, Connie. I promise you. God damn. I'm almost like, my God, he's proposing. (laughs) (laughs) So I always, Hey, look, if we got you and I got married in a civil ceremony, we get Cornet to be our preacher. God damn. Conrad, are you the bride? Are you the groom? Are you going to be a happy bottom or an aggressive top? Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, <coughs> let's just have some fun. How about that? Fun is what I'm looking for. And you know what? We're going to find some fun next week. We're doing a watch along. Nothing more fun than watching wrestling with good old JR. And we're going to be doing that next week as we take a look at Stone Cold Steve Austin becoming WWF champion again in Indianapolis on Raw. It's a watch along. Don't watch it ahead of time. Watch it with Jim and I, we are yep. going to let you voice track some of the call from that main event. So we'll just lay out and let it breathe. Daddy, we're All looking right. forward to next week, man. This was a good time. I don't know what I expected talking about the beginning of Jericho's career, but I'm looking forward to picking up where we left off because Me too. while maybe it didn't start the way he hoped, or we hoped as fans, we're going to get there in November. He's going to become the world champ and defeat the rock and stone cold, not just on the same night. But in back-to-back matches, uh, oof, what a story Chris Jericho has. But that's a story for another time. Uh, he is at JR's BBQ. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. I appreciate you, Connie, always. And uh, I, we certainly appreciate our audience and the loyalty that they have following us and making us one of the top at perennially weekly two or three podcasts in the United States for wrestling for our genre. And, uh, we, we love you guys for that. We, we're happy. You appreciate our work, but just don't tell me what I'm thinking <laughs> unless you're fucking Kreskin, <laughs> but we do appreciate it. We love you guys. Conrad roll tide, baby roll tide, man. And good luck to your Sooners. We'll see you next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> 
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.